If someone were to ask, what is the ultimate expression of God's love, what you see essentially in this picture is the exact expression of God's love. If you've been paying attention this morning, you've been seeing essentially the theme that we're talking about, which is the love of God that is displayed to us through the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But one of the things that I want to remind us of is that as we come to Christmas and as we move to the celebration of Christ's birth, we must also remember and recognize that Christ's birth had a purpose. Christ wasn't born just to be a babe among many. Christ wasn't born just to be a king of a worldly kingdom. Christ was born to be our savior and our king and establish an eternal kingdom. And so as we look at this picture, one of the things that we're going to talk about this morning is trusting and recognizing what God has done to demonstrate his love for us. And I love the fact that here this morning we're sitting and we look at the scene of a babe in a manger, but behind it, over it, overarching what is going on is the cross. I've said before that you have to have Christ and the cross, but also you have to have the cross and Christ. That is so important for us to remember and recognize. And my prayer for us, as we move in Advent, as we think about what it means to have God with us, that we would look at the full story, the full picture of what Christ has done. Remembering and recognizing that we do celebrate the birth of Christ, but we need to know that the story doesn't end there. The story is one who comes to save us from our sin. We're going to be looking at a passage, and we're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 49, and it's the story of Mary and Joseph. We're going to be kind of reading what God does, but we're also going to be answering this question, how can you rest in the fact that God loves me? One of the things that I want to encourage you in is to simply look at this picture. Right there, that picture that's before you is the answer to God's love for all of us. God loves us so much that he was willing to give us his son to die on a cross so that we might have eternal life. And in a moment, we're going to discover that we're going to have eternal life even though we don't deserve it. That is love. That's what we're driving toward this morning. So in this, if you have your Bibles, let's take a look at Luke chapter 1. We're going to be reading from verses 26 to 49. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At the time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my room leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. It's interesting to watch and see what's unfolding in this story. And again, what we need to remember and recognize is as we read this story, keep your eyes on this picture. Remember and recognize that Christ will come and he will be born as a babe in a manger, a humble child. Several of us have had the joy of burying a child and watching the helplessness of that babe. Remember and recognizing that really in those moments they are utterly dependent upon creation, the parent, for them to survive. And when I think through the fact that here is God in the flesh, the maker and creator of the heavens and earth, one who has created all that we see, all that we know, and all that we don't know as we look into the heavenly realms, as we look into the stars in the sky, recognizing that space is infinitely larger than we are that God would place himself in the hands of creation simply boggles my mind. But friends, one of the other things that I would remind you of is this, is remember and recognize that Christ had come not just to teach, not just to change, not just to form a political movement, not just to establish an earthly kingdom, but Christ came on a mission, and that mission was to save us from our sins. Remember that Christ's eye was always on and has always been on the cross so that we might have eternal life through him and his sacrifice. And so friends, one of the things that I would remind you of as we go through this passage, as we move to Christmas, as we open our presence, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, always in the back of your mind, remember what was to come, which was Christ's death on a cross so that we might have life. And then rejoice in the fact of what is to come, which is the return of our Lord and Savior to establish his kingdom forever for all whom will believe in him. That's the story of the gospel and that is the message of love that our Savior displays to us. When someone asks you what is love, when someone comes forward and says, help me understand love at its core, the full expression of it, friends, what I would tell you to do is to simply draw this picture. That's love. And that is the ultimate expression of God's love for us. We're going to take a minute and we're going to see, again, as I've said, how can we rest in the fact that God loves us or loves me? 
And this morning, I want to take a minute, and we're going to look particularly at these first two verses, and we're going to discover that a demonstration of God's love for us is that Christ's birth is celebrated. And you look at that, and you wonder, what's going on here? But let me take you back to what is really going on. We read in this passage, in the sixth month, meaning in the sixth months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. And we kind of read that, don't we? And yes, it's a big thing. It's an angel. Like, okay, that's wonderful. But let's take a minute and let's really go back and play out what's happening here. We have to remember that for centuries prior, prophets had come and said, God is going to bring about a Messiah. God is going to bring about a Savior. God is going to restore the people of Israel. God is going to bring a kingdom. And time and time again, the people would listen and they would hear and they would believe in what was going on. And then as we know, they would begin to misbehave again. And God would come again and say, I will write things, I will come and I will be with you. And God is going to bring about a Savior. Now what's important about this is those words would bring about hope, hope for the people of God, hope for those who were looking and wondering, is a Messiah going to come? But interestingly enough, we have to remember that after a while, prophetically, God became silent. Now, I want to be careful in this. It's not like God was on vacation. God didn't kind of say, hey, I'm going to go off and I'll figure this out later. God was continuing to be present. But what we know in Scripture is there is this period of 400 years, which is known theologically or biblically speaking as the intertestamental period or the period of silence, meaning that prophecy essentially ceased. And so think about this for a minute. Think about the fact that you're hearing in times of challenge and in times of trouble, prophets come forward and say, God comes forward with a message for you. And that message is, is that despite all the turmoil, despite all that's what's going on, he is going to bring about a savior. He is going to change drastically what is before you today. And then 400 years goes by where essentially, prophetically speaking, God is silent. Now to put that into perspective, we haven't even celebrated our 300th anniversary as a nation for the United States. Recognize that we will round that. I might be alive, probably not, when our nation celebrates its 300th birthday. And then you've got to add another 100 years to that where God's promise remains quiet, remains dormant, remains unheard, remains unsubstantiated. And then all of a sudden, in a podunk town, the angel Gabriel shows up with a broad, big announcement. It's time. And I've chosen you, Mary, to celebrate the birth. I think it's interesting because if we were to look at this, I, I'm, I'm just hypothesizing here. I wonder what was going on in heaven 
when the angel Gabriel went down to Mary and said, it's time. And I suspect that heaven was rejoicing, celebrating the fact that indeed the Messiah was now going to come. And interesting enough, the angel Gabriel is essentially known as an announcement angel. He shows when something, is, uh, something big is about to occur. There's a reason why it's the angel Gabriel. There's a reason why Gabriel is the one who makes that announcement. Because it is a celebration of the coming of the Messiah. You'd think that if the announcement of the king was to come, that if the place of where it was going to be, that God would choose somewhere in vogue. I mean, come on, let's do it in L.A., where everybody can see. Let's at least put it in Washington, D.C., perhaps at the nation's capital, where it would get press coverage, where it would be noticed. But Nazareth? Panora, Iowa? Really? And yet, God in his sovereignty, in his sovereign plan, sends the angel Gabriel to this God-forsaken town. to bring about the salvation of mankind through Mary. Friends, first and foremost, as a demonstration of God's love for us, Christ's birth is celebrated. I want you to put yourself in this place. I want you to think about the fact that for years, God was quiet, and then all of a sudden, God comes through Gabriel and says, I have an announcement to make. It's time. The Savior is coming. The Savior is here. And then we continue on. And it says, We're going to bring about a son to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. I love the fact that obviously Luke is very detailed and saying, hey, this is lining up correctly. This isn't an error, because one of the things that we need to remember is the prophecy that had been stated hundreds of years earlier that the Messiah, the promise of God, would be in the line of David. So not only does this announcement demonstrate celebration, it's validated in the fact that we've got the right guy. We've got the right Savior. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I often wonder, and for those of you that have experienced the joy of a child in your womb, that, that blessedness, that, that joy, what would it have been like for Mary to know that that child is the savior of mankind, the king of kings, God in the flesh? And then we continue on in the next couple of verses, 29 through 33. And the other thing that I want to show you as a demonstration of God's love for us is that Christ's birth is unique and distinct. As joyous is the birth of any child, we must remember that Christ's birth is wholly unique and it is wholly distinct from all of the births, both prior and since. 
We continue and we read in verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered, what kind of greeting might this be? Can I just take a minute? And how many of you would be completely fine if all of a sudden the angel Gabriel was before you? I don't know about you, but I'd be terrified in the glory and the majesty of this angel. What do you have for me? Why are you here? What are you doing? Why me? But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now think about this for a minute. Because in our world, we think through, I found favor with God. I've won the lottery. I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to have a wonderful life. I'm going to live long and prosper. I'm going to have that retirement home. I'm going to have all of the things that I desire. But what God says is the favor that I give you, the favor that I give you is my son, whom you will bear. And you will watch die on a cross at the age of 30 to 33. That's the favor that I give you. I wonder, I wonder what was going through Mary during this time. Because she didn't know. She didn't know at that moment that that babe that she would hold in her hand, that the babe that she would care for, that that child she would rear, that that son that she would adore would be the one that she would watch so brutally crucified on a cross, crying out to the very one whom created him. You'll be with child, in verse 31, and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now remember, that name is Yeshua or Joshua, Savior, God's Savior. God is salvation. We have to remember and recognize that in our world today, we might give a name for a specific reason, but oftentimes what we do is we look at the most popular names that are out there and we either decide to put that name in or we look and we say that name's going to be too popular. I don't want my child to be one of 24 in the same class named that name, so I'm going to do something different. But back in this day, names were given because they would have purpose. They would have character. They would have embodiment to who and what the individual would be. And that is a big name to give. But yet, Christ embodies all that is stated right there. Savior. God is salvation. He will be great, and it will be called the Son of the Most High. That's quite a title. God is saying something big is happening here. Something greater than you can possibly imagine is about 
to occur. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Oh, wonderful, we have a kingdom now. We're going to be emancipated. We're going to be revered, finally. The Roman oppression that Mary and that region are under is going to go away. And God says, no, 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 no. There's a far greater kingdom that I'm giving. There's a far greater salvation that I'm giving. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will never end. Can you imagine the statement that's given there? The uniqueness that God comes for you. He says, this child... This one whom I give to you is different. He is not one among many, uh, among many. He is the only one. He is the Savior of mankind. And don't forget that God wholly knows as he makes this announcement and he celebrates this birth that the cross is right behind. That the cross is coming that the cross is necessary. And the reason we know that is from the prophecy in Isaiah where Isaiah comes forward and says, it's the Lord's will to crush him, to beat him, and to destroy him so that you, and I'll put myself in there too, might have eternal life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, friends that are gathered here today, one of the things that I want to strongly encourage you in is, is to never separate this picture because that is the ultimate expression of God's love for us. Christ's birth is unique and distinct. It is wholly different than any birth we will ever know because Christ is God in the flesh. And then interesting enough, we get on to verses 34 through 38, and the next thing I want you to see is the demonstration of God's love for us. Christ's birth is miraculous. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? One of the things that we need to remember and recognize is in, in Mary's day, culturally speaking, men and women were often betrothed to one another at an early age. Most people would identify that Mary was anywhere in the realm of 12 to probably 16 years old. And the betrothal period was one essentially as our modern engagement they were essentially legally bound to one another. Remember that. Yet, in this, what we know is that Mary had honored the call and honored the, the idea of the betrothal period, and no sexual union had occurred between her and Joseph. How are you going to do this, God? What are you going to do? A great question that she's asking in faith. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The Immaculate Conception. Friends, one of the things that we need to remember that is so key and core to the story of the Gospel is the Immaculate Conception of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Side note, if ever you're in a church and they kind of say, ah, 
I don't think that really happened. It might be time to get up and exit stage right. Mm -hmm. Or left, depending upon where the door is that's most closest to leave. Friends, the fact that God in the flesh came to die on a cross for us and that the Lord was the one who was wholly involved in the conception of our Savior Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit is what uniquely and distinctly makes Christ's birth what it is. A miracle. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The other thing that I want to show you is this. The Holy Spirit has eternally existed just as Christ has eternally existed. But what we see and what we must know here is this is prior to what? The Holy Spirit being dispersed among God's people in Acts chapter 2. This is a big deal. This is wholly unique. God is saying, look, I am going to have the Holy Spirit come upon you and he will be the one that will essentially enact this conception. He will be the one. Which is an importance to demonstrate the doctrine of the Trinity. He will overshadow you. What's the purpose? So the Holy One to be born will be called, okay, this is the purpose clause here. The Son of God. Friends, what I'm going to tell you is the reason that we have salvation through Jesus Christ is because the Son of God was willing to go to the cross and bear God's wrath on our behalf. And that is the ultimate picture of the expression of God's love for us. Then we continue on in verse 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. In this instance, one and one does not equal two. And yet God says it's going to happen because nothing is impossible with God. Take a minute now. Okay, I just, just pause there for a minute. We look and we cherish the fact that the angel says nothing is impossible with God. And we lay the birth of Christ amidst the cross and then we come before God with all of our muck and our mire. We come before God with all of our sin. We come before God with all of those things that make us feel unworthy of the love of God. And may we go back to this very statement where the angel says nothing is impossible with God and be reminded that that same statement is true for you and I. All of your sin, 
all of your ugliness, all of those reasons why you would look and say, I don't qualify to stand before a holy God is answered right here when the angel says nothing is impossible for God. Whatever it is that you might think pulls you away from God's whole love for you through Jesus Christ, may you be reminded that nothing is impossible for him. No matter how far away from God you are, no matter what you have done or not done, nothing is impossible before God. I love this statement because it reverberates all the way through the story of the gospel. It is true here, it is true here, and it will be true when Christ comes again. God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to deliver us? How are you going to right this ship of the world that right now, as we look around, appears to be sinking? Nothing is impossible before God. Show me, God. Right? That's what Mary says. Prove it to me. No. <laughs> Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. Can, can I ask you something? Okay? And, and guys, you know, just follow along with me, okay? This is Mary, but let's put ourselves in sort of a similar... If God showed up to you and said, I'm going to do something big... And you're looking at him, and, and you're saying, there's absolutely no way that I get this. I don't understand it. I don't know how you're going to do this. And there are going to be implications on me for you to accomplish what it is that you're going to do. How many of you, after hearing what the angel Gabriel said, would go, okay, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me, as you have said, May it be to me, may it be that I will become impregnated and I will be then viewed as what? An adulteress. And then I will be subject to the law, which is, if Joseph chooses, I could be stoned to death. May it be, God. May you ruin my plan. May you ruin my life. When I've done everything for you, when I've done it right, when I haven't, had union prior to my betrothal. May everything appear as if I am the one who has gone away from your command. And yet Mary says, may it be. Because I am your servant. Friends, one of the things that I think is so huge in this as we look at what Mary is saying is to remind us that oftentimes, and particularly in this instance, God brings about tremendous blessing for his people, but in so doing, it might mean that we are uncomfortable for a period of time. What if Mary said no? Now, theologically speaking, God is way bigger than that. But I love the fact that in humble faith, in not knowing the outcome, in wholly knowing that what was about to occur was going to be entirely socially uncomfortable for her, 
She says, may it be, for I am your servant. Friends, that's a whole other sermon for another day, but how often do we come before God and say, God, you exist to serve me. May we take time and rest in that and recognize that ultimately what Mary says there is, thy will be done, not my will be done. And then we don't see this particularly in Luke, but we read earlier in the passage that we saw, Joseph. I don't want to go too far in this, but I wonder what that would have been like for Joseph. Here's the woman who I've been betrothed to. Here's the woman who I will build my life with. Here's the woman that I have remained faithful to and I have honored. And she comes to me with some cockamamie story. Hey, I'm pregnant. And oh, by the way, God did it. Think about the faith of Joseph. Think about what that might have done. Think about the options that he had. Yet in faith, he too says, after praying and hearing from the angel, God, may it be so. Despite what it may look like, despite the rumors that will be there, despite the backstabbing that will be, despite the fact that we will walk through a town and I guarantee you, everybody will say, oh, it's so great that you're having a baby. And as we walk past them, they say, did you hear what happened? And yet the two, in faith, trust God's plan. And then the angel left her. In verse 39, we see the demonstration of God's love for us is that we are blessed when we believe his promises. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, a movement of the Spirit Remember the timing in this. This is wholly unique. This is wholly new. This is something that is big that's happening. And I love the fact. I love the fact that the first one to recognize that something big is happening is a babe in a mother's womb. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed you are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of the greeting reached my ears, the baby in the womb leaped for joy. Blessed is he who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Friends, if you have your Bibles there and you like to mark things up, I love that part of this story. Blessed is the one who has believed that what was said to her will be accomplished. Because remember, in the context of what we read, what Mary will go through, what Mary will endure, what Joseph will endure, is not a comfortable ride 
home. But you are blessed because you have believed that what has been said to you will be accomplished. Friends, we move that forward today and we look obviously at this picture that I've shown you. And I've said the ultimate expression of God's love for us is the manger and the babe, yet the cross behind. And one of the things that we must remember as we travel this road known as Christianity, that we are blessed when we believe that what has been said to us will be accomplished. I am coming again. I will not leave you nor forsake you. I will establish my kingdom and my kingdom will never end. It all ties into the Christmas story. It all starts right here. It all culminates right here. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. I wonder in those moments, after the announcement was made, after... Mary began to show signs of being pregnant after all of those things were there. How many times Mary would go back to this very moment? God, I don't see it. I don't know it. It's hard. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand. People are telling me rumors. Joseph might divorce me. I might be stoned. I don't know which way this might go. But you said... what you've told me will be accomplished. Take that for us today. Friends, I don't know what you may or may not be going through. I don't know what you may or may not be praying for. I don't know what you may or may not be hoping for. But what I do know is this, that for all of us who have believed in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what God has said will be accomplished. And the fact is simple, that Christ will come again And this time, Christ will come as a victorious king, not a babe in a manger. It is such a beautiful story. Friends, as a demonstration of God's love for us, we are blessed when we believe his promises. But the final thing that I want to drive home, and the final thing that literally brings me to tears, is this last portion, which is uh, verses 46 through 49. And as a demonstration of God's love for us, we are saved from our sin through Christ. The ultimate expression of God's love is the picture that I've told you before. Do not ever separate the birth of Christ from the cross of Christ. The two go hand in hand. But in verse 46, Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior a beginning to the hint of who God is. A beginning to the understanding that God is there for a bigger purpose, although at this point I don't believe that Mary fully knows what that means. And P.S., by the way, to no fault of her own. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant.
From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one God has done great things for me. Holy is his name. I love the submission and the exaltation that Mary gives to God. But how does God do this? What happens after Christ is born? What do we know in the story that we are fortunate enough to see being essentially on the other side of the cross? And that is Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. That's why we worship. Friends, I don't mean to belittle the birth of Christ at all. The birth of Christ is an amazing story. It's an amazing event, and it is part of the greater whole. But if Christ just was born, just a babe among many, if Christ didn't go to the cross on our behalf to forgive us of our sin and to take the wrath of God upon his shoulders of what we deserve, we would not be worshiping here today. Had Christ not risen from the grave and was still in it, we would be what? as Paul says, the greatest of all fools. But yet he has, and he is, and he will. Because we go back to that statement, blessed is she or those whom have believed what the Lord has said will be accomplished. Friends, you want to look at the ultimate expression of God's love. You want to look and say to someone, how do I know what love is? You show them this picture. And you remember what God has done. Billy Graham says this, God poured out his love on the cross. When Christ hung, bled, and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. Just just pause there for a minute. When you think about the cross, when you, if you ever want to, watch the passion of the Christ, get a big box of tissues, first and foremost, But be ready and be mindful of the fact that what is going on there is the ultimate expression of God's love for us. And what what humbles me to the core is the next statement that Paul makes in Romans 5, verses 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I haven't elevated myself to a point where I have stature with God. I haven't educated myself to a point where I'm smart enough to figure out God. I haven't done enough good deeds to tip the scale to where God puts me in his favor. I am a sinner in need of a savior. I am one who would have stood there in that moment next to Mary looking at Jesus saying, crucify him. And yet God says what? Forgive them for they know not what they do. 
I hadn't done it. We hadn't done it. The ultimate expression of God's love is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How can we rest in the fact that God loves you? Friends, what I'm going to tell you right now is that picture right there. That is how you know that God loves you. I have two questions for you this morning. For those of you that are in Christ, and when you struggle with God's love for you, go to that picture and be reminded that no matter what happens externally, no matter what dreams or what hopes come or don't come, whatever challenges might be there that either you have essentially created for yourself or perhaps maybe you've done nothing wrong, that that is the mark that God loves you. And the next question that I have, for those of you who are sitting here and saying, how do I know that God loves me, but you don't know Jesus, lovingly what I want to tell you is this. That's the expression of God's love for you. And the manner of how you might receive that love is simply by placing your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. It's that simple. It's that easy. It's that true. And it's that whole. You simply must believe. And then you receive the blessedness of God's love which is eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, this morning we've looked at the love of God. We've looked at the expression of God's love for us. And interestingly, I, I, I'd love to tell you that I'm like this master planner, and sometimes I am, but honestly, I think this is God's sovereign design. That we're going to say this statement, and then in a moment we're going to move to communion where we're reflecting essentially on what? the death of Christ as an expression of God's love for us. And so the thing that I want to leave you with this morning, the take-home truth is this, that Christ's birth is a demonstration of God's love for us through which he sends his son on a mission to save us from our sin. That's why God loves you. That is the ultimate expression of God's love, the unconditional, irrevocable, undeniable love of God that is displayed for us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's take a minute and pray. Father, we come before you today and, and uh, we just thank you for the season. We thank you for the season of Advent. Father, we thank you for the candle that expresses the love of God, the agape love. But Lord, in that, I pray that we would really recognize truly what that means, the cost of what it was so that we might be fully loved through you. And Lord, as we look at the story of Mary and Joseph, as we look at the stories that speak to the birth of our Savior, that we would rejoice in it, that we would celebrate that, that we would, we would rejoice and, and, and reflect on that babe in a manger. But Father, I pray that as we go through Christmas, that that kind of in the background, for lack of a better word, in, 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 a, in, a, in a sort of uh, shadows of these celebrations, that there would be this reminder of the cross that was coming. That that cross would sort of be the, the one that sort of uh, rises over all that's going on. Because the two go hand in hand. And Father, as we move to Christmas, we will celebrate, and then we will move 
to Good Friday and we will move to Easter where we get to come and we get to say He is risen, He is risen, He is risen indeed. And Father, may we rejoice in that because yes, Easter is a wonderful day but it's not just one day that we celebrate. We celebrate every day the fact that we have a risen Savior in Jesus Christ. And the reason that we do is the ultimate expression of God's love for us through the giving of his one and only son to go on a cross and die upon it while we were still sinners. Father, all I can say, all we can say is thank you. We cannot pay you back. We are so grateful for the gift that you have given. And Lord, may that resonate in our hearts as we go about worshiping you this week. May that be what we display to other people as we speak to the blessedness of the joy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things all in Christ's name and Christ's name alone. We ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say,